Hey friends, you're listening to Go Home Bob or You're Drunk, an irreverent media podcast. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, and if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Go Home Bible, You're Drunk, a podcast where we talk about the Bible and our relationship to it after leaving evangelical Christianity. My name is Justin. I'm a former pastor. I hold a seminary degree. I, I knew all the things and taught all the things uh, for well over 10 years. And now I, I don't do that anymore. But I have this podcast where I can um, ask all the questions and say all the things that they wouldn't let me say when they were paying me. Uh, which is um, delightful, and I hope you're entertained and you get something good out of it. I also have a delightful co-host from across the country, and she is. Hi, yeah, uh, I'm Tori. I, um, you know, grew up fundamentalist, so I was born on the pew, as I like to say, and I was just constantly, I was just constantly in church and memorized just like, you know, chunks of the Bible at a time because I was homeschooled, so. Jesus was going to come back any minute, which meant memorizing the Bible was more important than actual education. Um, At any moment, he could be back. At at any, any minute now, pretty much. Yeah. So we were, we were very into like revelations and, and the rapture in my house. So real education didn't actually count, but I know a lot about the Bible. So now I get to decompress with Justin and talk about like, why, why were they teaching us these stories? Yeah. Why? What was the point? I don't. I don't get it. Like, like this one, the one that we're doing today. Why did they teach us this? And why is this even in there? Nothing makes sense. <laughs> Does not make sense. We're going to talk about Ruth, the book of Ruth, if you will, in a bit. And all of its various ins and outs, some of which are fascinating, some are weird, some we were never taught. Uh-huh. And definitely. Well, I think that, that we have, we have a little bit of a theme going for February, which yes. is corny as fuck, but like, you know, but I love whatever. it. I love it. So we're like doing, we're doing some Bible relationships because yeah. it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, it's Valentine's day, you know, yeah. it's black history month, but there's not, I don't think there's enough black, there might be actually enough black content in the Bible to like do a whole, to do four weeks of to do four weeks worth, maybe next year. That's maybe next year, That'll 2023 black history month in the Bible. But yeah, so this time we're doing some love sex. Great, what, are, what, great. What, what, what do you call this? I don't know. I great the great couples of the Bible. It sounds like a sermon series that an evangelical pastor would do. Um great. But the greatest, greatest dyads of the Bible. Yes, the great, the great couples of the Bible. You know, Ruth and Boaz, David and Jonathan. Yeah, Paul um, and Timothy. Yeah. Paul and Timothy. 
we'll get we'll get into those we will and you know we talked about you know sex last week and so it, we're just it's kind of a theme just uh relationships and whatnot in our podcast and if you think it's cheesy and corny you know just go along for the ride it'll be a delight i'm sure so uh, speaking of well not dyads i suppose we oh. would not be talking about oh. a dyad oh. um but <laughs> We did want to just briefly touch on the Vanity Fair article about Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife and their pool boy and their family. So it's about his family somewhat. I, I, I In scrolling through, there's like tons of pictures of his family, but I don't know if there's any pictures of the pool boy. But uh, from what I recall from a couple of years ago or whatever, he's very handsome. I suppose, I suppose if you're looking for a third attractiveness is, is one of the things i don't know well yeah i mean i mean that's that's true but also like jerry falwell jr is he looks he looks very rapey just i'm just gonna say it he has a very he, rapey face and he, he very much looks like the son of jerry falwell he very much looks like someone who does not understand that the concept of consent exists i, I suppose so i'm sorry i just was like i'm scared right now man, thankfully <laughs> thankfully his daughter looks like her mom <laughs> yeah. but yeah that was so it that was really interesting because basically jerry jr like out outed himself as like not really a believer yeah question mark I, I, question I don't, mark i don't know that i believe him right same like or you know the the idea that he never believed it or didn't really was never really a believer. I, I I think I've been in this deconstruction space and talked with a lot of people deconstructing. I think for some people that might be a way, I'm going to say for some people, I think that might be a way to help cope with the idea that you were in it for so long. If you just say, well, mm -hmm. I didn't really believe kind of retroactively. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've experienced that temptation myself, like, or even just a mm -hmm. sense, did I really believe this? Right. And maybe that, to give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe he's doing that. But it's like part of the thing is if, if you really didn't believe this, you are a truly evil person. Yeah. Like misguided. If you believed it, you were misguided and you uh -huh. caused a lot of damage. Yeah. And you were manipulated, frankly. Yeah. I could almost have sympathy for him if it right. was like, you know, this is, yeah, you were roped into this thing and you didn't necessarily want it, but you're a believer and da 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 da. da. But if you're like, mm -hmm. I didn't believe any of this at all, I was grifting the whole time. Mm -mm. You're a motherfucker. Like, like no, thank so you. No, it, thank you. And it's one of those things like, does he think that this is going to make him look better? <laughs> you know? Yeah. If it, it was well it was that well there was the joss whedon interview came out i don't know if you read it but i didn't read that one no i forget what magazine or publication did it but there was a joss whedon interview it was like an expose and it you yes. know from what i understand it seemed like he really thought that this was going to be his comeback story but he was a terrible person in the interview <laughs> like <laughs> like oh i fired that person because they were a terrible actor or whatever you know it's like you you whoever your publicist is probably quit on the spot. <laughs> so I'm wondering if like, this is it. Like he thinks this is going to be his, like, you know, people are going to have sympathy for me. Cause I didn't believe the whole time or something. Right. But, but, yeah. Ooh, no, you, ooh, you didn't, but ooh, you, you were like a true grifter. Like, right. Ooh, 
gross. And I mean, I think that that's that that's always the question that it, that we I think struggle with having left is like how many of these people are true believers and how many are just just in it for for the grift. And you know, it's it it is it's hard it's hard to say. Even having I think like hypersensitivity to people's bullshit around religion, I think that it, it's still really really hard to tell like who was for real right and who who was sincerely showing up and who was just there to like capitalize on whatever whatever trend happening happened to be occurring in evangelicalism at the time but yeah I oof, I mean I remember I remember since I, like I I remember uh, I think it was when, when would that have been like 2000 how old was I I remember, I don't know whenever his dad died I had like he had said something awful as Jerry Falwell Sr. was wont to do. And I was just like, I, I was taught very specifically not to wish death on people because, mm-hmm. you know, you have to like forgive people other because otherwise God can't forgive you. So you have to, you know, can't wish bad things on people. And I was just like, man, I hope that guy dies. Yeah. And then he like, the, the next day I was like listening to NPR on the way to work or whatever. And he had died. I was like, oh shit we found we found the murderer folks <laughs> it was me I'm like i'm not i'm not ashamed uh no, i no, did you, it you did a service i think i did a service to humanity <laughs> this is amazing uh yeah so his dad was like i don't I, it's uh, that whole family i don't know like are any of them true believers or are they right. like actual who who even knows how can you tell yeah i mean even was like if if we're going to ask that question, was Jerry Falwell even ever a believer? Right. Um, exactly. You know, because he seemed pretty skeezy as well. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. he built a great little political empire. Um, and if you're going to want to do that, evangelical Christianity creates a lot of places, a little odd handholds for you to build your own <laughs> little political empire on. Totally. And he like, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. Like they're both awful in like very different ways. So like maybe, maybe, you know, maybe junior wasn't, wasn't a true believer, you know, like the article talks about, about Jerry Falwell senior and gives like a very brief sampling of all the awful things that, that he said. Right. And, and, uh, you know, basically it all sort of boiled down to like, feminists and the gays and black people having any kind of political power those were things that would cause god to stop blessing america yeah right so he he was he was the kind of person of like bob and tom they they live in tampa they're <laughs> adam and steve but then you know yeah. i was like bob and tom is like that's that's like a 90s radio show or something oh that's true i was thinking of like some little old bear couple but like anyway it was like so god's gonna god's gonna send katrina yeah god's gonna do a katrina (laughs) because you know some some like gay couple who lives somewhere else exists just living in sin god can't bless us anymore and by bless us they're talking about capitalism blessing the good white people of lynchburg virginia (laughs) good way something someone needs to do a thing that is called the good white people of lynchburg virginia like just make a thing called that i don't care what it an, is an instagram account <laughs> that's just like pictures of random people 
like humans of New York, but you actually, yes, yes. It's, but it's like terrible people. The white people of Lynchburg. <laughs> oh man. Get them to own up to the fact that there's a, there's a white robe in their closet. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. I'm just imagining all the images now. So yeah, I, I, I find it interesting. Um, one of the other irreverent member, irreverent media podcasts, uh, Straight White American Jesus, uh, they did a kind of a more in-depth deep dive of this. I, we're just going to hit it on kind of a surface, surface level. Yeah, yeah, they did um, a really good kind of topical episode on it. I do think it's interesting because it seems to me in the last few years of Jerry Falwell's tenure, Jerry Falwell Jr.'s tenure as the president or CEO or whatever he was, a pastor of Liberty. I don't know what it was. It almost seems like he was trying to get caught. Like he almost seemed like a person that was like trying to, like, I don't know how to get out myself. So I want them, like he's trying to get fired because they trying were- Trying to get he kicked was, out, interesting. He was caught in nightclubs. He, it was well known that he drank- you know, the whole pool boy scandal. And honestly, the pool boy scandal didn't do him in. Right. And it yeah. wasn't really until like he had that weird picture of him with like his t-shirt hanging out of his pants, you know, with the woman that I don't think was his wife on the boat or whatever. I don't remember when that. He was like, I'm drinking. If I don't know. What did he, he was, he had a glass of wine and he was like, it's just dark drinking water. black water. Yeah. I'm drinking <laughs> black water. And I'm like thinking like, this is a boat. You don't drink the black water. Like, <laughs> that black water tank you do not drink that water yeah it wasn't really until that and there was like some more pushback beyond that that he started to actually experience consequences and so sometimes i wonder if i don't know if i'm not gonna try to pathologize or like psych, you know psychoanalyze mm, him mm-hmm. at a distance but it, it fits a pattern of and i've seen it in a couple of people that i know of i don't know how to get out so i'm going to just behave badly I'm going to sabotage this. I'm going to sabotage this until, you know, cause I can't do it myself or whatever. And I mean, right. it's, uh, you know, so I almost wonder if that's what's happening. Cause you kept, they kept hearing stories. I feel like every story mm-hmm. I heard about him was him doing something that was certainly against the Liberty community guidelines. Right. Um, and, and outside of like what normal people in evangelicalism are permitted to do yes. without being disciplined by the church or mm-hmm. whoever else. And he wouldn't experience consequences. Right, because people in his position don't. Mm -hmm. There is no one that he's accountable to. Yeah. Right? And so I think, you know, that that makes it really hard to to get yourself sort of forcibly removed, I think, because there's like, you're you're the top dog, sort of. Like nobody. Who's going to fire him? Right. There's, there's not really anybody that you have to answer to. And they've been making excuses for you for so long that you really have to engage in this fairly like egregious behavior that is like out in the open where you're making the people around you look bad. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because they cover for you because you write their, you write their check. Right. But there's, there is, there's still a line of like the people and it's like, oh, you're, you're hurting. Like at this point, you're hurting our bottom line. Yeah. You're costing Liberty money. Right. And, and I think that that yeah. matters in like who is held accountable, quote unquote. Yeah. And it is interesting too. Like, it, you know, I think there was some hope at one point that Jerry Falwell was the biggest supporter, I think of Donald Trump very early on. Yeah. And I think there was some hope that like seeing Jerry Falwell 
junior fall would lessen evangelicals support of you know donald trump like that would be like kind of the thing that bottomed out this whole kind of lie mm-hmm. that right. you know republican equals trump equals evangelical like it's all you know but that didn't right. happen <laughs> they continue to cover for other people and jerry falwell jr i don't i can't remember what his exit package was but it's like you didn't experience consequences you just like you got to retire early yeah you got to retire early and it's a nice retirement that mm-hmm. you know I, I don't know so it's interesting that he's still a topic of discussion, but, you know, it, it, we see this pattern, I think, over and over again. Right. And that's why I think I'm just sort of like, mm, yeah, I, I never really believed it. It just kind of feels like a cop out. Yeah, it, it feels like a, like that's my way of covering over this. Mm-hmm. Like I behaved badly because I never believed it. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't like that that Ron Burgundy gift. Like, I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't believe you. Yeah, I don't believe you. <laughs> Pull out the cigarette. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. The cigar for sure. Oh my gosh. And and you know, what's there's so many there's so many like just bizarre things about about his story and like this timeline and everything that kind of went down, but again, he's just, he just kind of, he just kind of gets to walk away and he gets to like make up his own narrative. still. like, he still controls the narrative. And I mean, like evangelicalism is, it's just one big persecution fetish. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, if there are any consequences for someone you're being persecuted on the rare occasion that that actually happens, I will say like, he does sincerely seem glad to be gone so maybe he's being I don't I don't know yeah you know but I don't know it, like I feel like he was weirdly kind of I guess he wasn't really enthusiastic about his job he was enthusiastic about like right wing politics yeah I think that was his calling if you will or his <laughs> that was light. his gift yeah his gift was right wing politics yeah and so that you know and and using his platform to that end where, you know, and living in a, in a country, in a society where, where right-wing politics and, and evangelical Christianity are seen as one in the same, right. In, in, in so many ways. Like, yeah. Maybe, maybe it is easy enough to just kind of be like, yeah, well, you know, I'm just going to do this thing. Cause I get paid and I get to promote these people that I, that I like, or I get to have influence in some sort of some sort of way i get to say really offensive things about you know i'm carrying a gun in case who was it it was like a terrorist or like black lives matter or somebody like came into the i was like oh my gosh you're so these people are very paranoid they're very they're afraid of everything yeah like liberty university i think you can openly carry a gun and oh my god you have to wear a a mask for covid or vaccinate yeah so it's like oh my god good for thankfully, you like thankfully like 70 percent of their students are already online <laughs> because again it's just a for-profit institution so it will you know it, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up and i don't know he might be our president someday who knows uh, but, <laughs> uh, like, that's where that's where i'm at <laughs> like <laughs> He'll turn this around, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, it's, yeah, it won't even be like a blip on the radar. No. 
this is the thing like whatever the version of podcasts are like 50 75 years like that's gonna be like the thing that someone like does a deep dive into because yeah. <laughs> like he's remembered for something completely different and then they're just like oh my god like this happened what the fuck what? he was a, he was a <laughs> people thought he was a christian oh man know, right? <laughs> holy cow Whew. anyway yeah. so, it's a doozy yeah so jerry falwell jr um fuck that guy yeah. 2024. Yeah. Fuck that guy. For sure. Just go ahead and take a drink uh, while mm-hmm. you uh, listen to this here ad coming up and we'll come back with uh, some other things for you. And Ruth and Boaz, couples of the Bible. <laughs> Talking. <Stay tuned>. <laughs> <laughs> 1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hey, we're back. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening to the ads. Before we get a little further into the podcast, we wanted to bring you the tweet of the week. And the tweet of the week is, you know, Tori and I are, are very online, or sometimes not at all, but typically we're very online. There's no middle ground for us. There, we have ADHD. That's true. And so if we want to highlight tweets that brought us life, we found interesting and or funny. And hopefully you enjoy them as well, because sometimes I think Twitter gets drugged as being like this toxic, terrible place. And it can be, but Mm. it's also a place that brings delight and joy to our life. And we want to share that a little bit with you. So, Tori, did you want to go first with the tweet of the week? Sure. My tweet. uh, I. So first of all, I thought that we were doing tweets that like applied to evangelicalism or Christianity or leaving Christianity. Right. Like like deconstructing ex-evangelical stuff because justin and i didn't talk about this i just like sprung yeah. it on him so, <laughs> so we're we're creating what this is in real time as we go along but while i was out of the state in in nature with no cell phone service which was uh, fucking amazing um and my favorite place to be i realized as i was like scrolling through through twitter driving through this town of like 800 people <laughs> Cause I had cell service for a minute. All of the tweets that Twitter was recommending to me were, were theology tweets. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. This is like, this is like hurting my heart. And so I went and I like muted a bunch of words about like, I muted evangelical and like church and seminary and Christianity and theology. And um, I still get theology tweets and I like, but I, I engage with that stuff so much that like I, Twitter thinks that I'm like a Bible believing Christian. <laughs> And I nice. need that to stop. You need that to die down. So we're going to take it's a like, break. It's like suggest John Piper to you. Like, <laughs> like, who to follow? Stop Twitter. Stop this immediately. So anyway, my tweet of the week, not, not super, not directly about evangelicalism, but also totally about evangelicalism. It's at Dr. Jen Wolken. And it says, I don't know who needs to hear this, but rest is not a reward. It's a neurobiological imperative. 
And I think that in the context of like evangelical capitalism, we treat rest as a reward for any, and, and, you know, if you don't earn enough to stay housed and fed easily, then you don't get that reward. You don't deserve to be able to rest. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who grew up poor with a parent who worked incredibly hard and worked two and three jobs at a time, fuck that shit. So anyway, yeah, that's mine. Yeah. Fuck that shit. Rest is something that you deserve as a human being because you don't have to earn it. It's yep. a human right. So I like that tweet of the week. Uh, mine is mine is also not about evangelicalism. Ooh, um, I think maybe we're we need both, a break. Maybe we're both tired of it <laughs> as we host this podcast. But mine was actually about the um, the the Joe Rogan kerfuffle, the ongoing the kerfuffle that is Joe Rogan. That is Joe Rogan. Yep. <laughs> but I saw a guy. Uh, it was kind of like a retweet of a tweet that's been like probably copied and pasted a dozen times on the internet. That's like the resolution's not great. But this would be Benny Russell tweeted this. This is back when I was a kid. You didn't need Joe Rogan. Your best friend had a 27 year old brother who was a fucking loser who would smoke pot in a room with black light posters and tell you that Mayans invented cell phones. And I feel like that really encapsulates to me the like (laughs) absurdity that is the fact that Joe Rogan may be the most influential human in human history. Mm -hmm. And he's basically the 27 year old in the black light room, high as fuck, talking about how ancient aliens invented the internet or something. Yeah. So yeah. And I, I've it's met amazing. my friend's 27-year-old friend before, and I've listened to the Joe Rogan experience, and they're very similar. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that's part of the appeal until you realize, Early. oh, people take this seriously. Seriously, like, yeah. Oh. The appeal, I think, originally of his show, and maybe even our show, is that it's just two people talking, having fun. But like, uh, let me I'll just say this right now. If y'all start making a religion out of this, like... We will pull the plug. We are canceling the show. Like, <laughs> we have a ways to go, though. I feel like Joe Rogan yeah. is the number one podcaster in the fucking world. So yeah. I'm, I'm, you can I, you can make us a little bit of a religion. Yeah. So make us a religion, but not quite as much yeah. of a religion as Joe Rogan is. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need to be able to to fill a stadium no. with people. I, like I, that's that's bad. That's bad news. Let's not do that. I feel like that's bad for everyone's ego to be it able is. they have the power to do that. Yeah. No, power is power is bad shit in my professional opinion. So so let's keep the 27-year-old friends in the basement. Yeah. Where um, they can say all that stuff that they want to and mm-hmm. not not do damage to the entire planet, literally. Yeah. yeah. Do damage to the planet and people in vulnerable populations and basically anyone that's not. A white guy just asking questions. <laughs> All right. So, I dig it. Anyway, it's a good that, tweet. That will be, I think, the extent of our Joe Rogan coverage forever. I hope but so. That tweet Andy. delighted me and kind of spoke <laughs> to the cultural moment we're in. Yep. We also had a patron that we would like to recognize. Uh, our new youth pastor has joined the ranks and the, the church of Justin and Tori. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, this is okay. this is not a church uh okay. we are we are not a religion but uh we really appreciate uh sarah's support and yes indeed. Uh, as a way to say thank you we would like to uh give sarah a life first that she can have uh forever sweet 
Yeah. Okay. Well, yep. this is a, this is whatever, whatever verse the Holy spirit decides that Sarah needs to have. That's the one that we're giving them. So I guess we'll just, ha- I'm going to flip through my Bible and see where the spirit leads me or, you know, physics and yeah. thermodynamic entropy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here we go. I'm going to do this. Wow. Sometimes I'm like, kind of spirit lead Tori. So yeah. Where her oh, trust boy. is without borders. I hate you so much right now. <laughs> okay, this is okay. So this is Isaiah 47, Sarah, uh, verse two. It says, mm, This feels like my life verse. Uh, it says, Take the millstones and grind flour, pull off your veil, strip off your robe, uncover your legs, pass through the rivers. That that sounds delightful. There we go. As someone who went to a hot springs for the first time in my life this weekend, I'm kind of into it. So yeah, there you go. There you go, Sarah. Sarah, enjoy, enjoy that for all of eternity. Yes. <laughs> so good. The Bible's so nuts, man. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, for today's drinking game, as we get into the story of, of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and all the characters that show up in this story. <laughs> that threesome. Yeah, this, that, that old threesome. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I guess just if you drink or if you want to drink or do a push up or just, you know, giggle and smirk, uh, whatever you want to do, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say anytime that the characters in the Bible do something that is would be considered naughty by evangelical Christians, and perhaps they would make excuses for them to have not actually done that in, (laughs) in the Holy Writ, you go ahead and take a drink. Yeah, this is why this is why they're such pros at making excuses for their guys is because they were making excuses for the Bible this whole time. Yeah. Man, oh man. Justin, uh, where 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 are we starting this story? Are we gonna do like a whole you know, I, I'm thinking a whole overview? It's a, it's one of the shortest books in the Bible, which is. is wonderful. It is. We're very grateful for this. Yeah, you know, I think we can probably do the whole book. Uh, okay. but let's you know, we can skim over parts. We don't have to do it in depth. I, I mostly because I just don't want to come back to it. Okay, well, that's fair. <laughs> uh, no, that's fair. I, yeah, because well, I think you kind of have to have, I think, the whole story to for the interesting pieces to make sense. So for maybe someone who's listening to this podcast that's that hasn't, fun. that is isn't like an expert on Ruth um, and hasn't had it read to them once a year for twenty years. <laughs> I think I think to do it justice, we should do the whole thing. It's only four chapters, and so yeah, we'll just kind of we'll skim along. All right, let's do it. I am into it. Yeah, I think that like you could. I'm like this is it's a hard book to skim, but also I maybe it's it's I guess not actually that hard. It's just very, it's odd, you know. It's you know, I it doesn't make any sense to me, and that's the thing that I kept thinking about. That was the thing I was thinking about all weekend. Because I was like, why, why did they teach us this? Why is this book so important? Right. And I like, and I Googled it and I came up with a, the internet has a bunch of horrifying answers to that question. So like, I guess, you know, the, the jumping off point is during the time of the judges who were genocidal maniacs. And that's not, we're not exaggerating. Like read the book of judges. They were literally that Israel, <laughs> Israel at this time was a libertarian Mad Max paradise. <laughs> that is, that is accurate as fuck. So anyway, this, this dude, a man from Bethlehem and Judah, Elimelech, 
there was a famine. And so apparently the judges weren't doing their job or something. And so Elimelech left and went to the country of Moab with his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, whose names are Malon and Killian. And it says- Unfortunate uh, names. I know. Well, it's like they're so close to being cool, though, you know? Yeah, that's true. They are. So they went to Moab. They live there. Elimelech dies. And so, you know, she like has her two sons and they get married to two women. And then about 10 years later, both of her sons die. So Naomi now has no one in uh, the libertarian Mad Max paradise of the judges of Israel times when there was no social safety net, except there was. And like, this gets kind of contradicted (laughs) at the end of the book. So it's weird. I like, I don't, I don't fully understand what's happening. There was no safety net in in Moab for sure. Yeah, she was without any kind of safety net in Moab. Yes. Yes, yes. And so Naomi's like, okay, well, I'm going to go back to my people and you should go back to your people. And we're just going to, you know, try to stay alive. Let's not starve. That's basically her deal. And so they have this really big, like, sad, tearful goodbye. And they both, both, both of the women say, we're coming with you. And Naomi's like, no, you're not. And so Orpa one of the women said goodbye, went home to her family. Respected Naomi's boundaries, really. (laughs) Really. Think about it. (laughs) And Ruth was like, nope, fuck that. I'm going to come with you. And so she makes this big, long promise to Naomi. It's a big one. It is. It is. It's like, it's, and it's not, it's not, it's not, you know, despite the fact that she's not respecting Naomi's boundaries, like it's kind of a beautiful little thing that she says. And yeah. So do you have any comments on that before we get to the other parts? I think it's interesting. And it is, you know, what she tells Naomi is kind of similar to a, you know, like a oath of fealty or a marriage vow. Like, I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, she's pretty serious. Like, you know, your people are my people now, you know, your God's my God now. Like I, I will never leave you. And I mean, and that's nice. I'm, I'm kind of joking about the respecting boundaries thing, but it's just like, you know, she's like, I want to stick with you, Naomi. Like, I want to help take care of you. I want to, you know, you know, you are my family now. And, that, and that's nice. And I mean, I mean, in, in Mad Max Paradise, you know, people got to stick together. And that's, you know that's touching. True. Very true. So Naomi realizes that Ruth is not going to leave her the heck alone. So they both leave and go to Bethlehem. And which is where, if you recall, from a few moments ago that's where Naomi was from and they uh they arrive in the town and the women apparently see Naomi and are all like oh it's been what like 20 years or something and they're like is this Naomi and she goes don't call me Naomi call me Mara because the Lord has made my life very bitter apparently Mara means bitter yeah according to white people in the UK in like the 15th century yeah. anyway um <laughs> So, um, yeah, the Bible, however, does not respect this name change, continues to call her Naomi, unlike when men change their names in the Bible, and that sticks. That sticks. So. Like, the, no, Naomi, we will not call you that. We will not respect, like, nobody's respecting Naomi <laughs> yeah. here, man, Naomi just, come on. Naomi just wants to be called Mara and be left alone, and right. ain't, ain't nobody, <laughs> nobody having can do that. <laughs> Everyone around her just like, nope. So Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. The Bible says it's chapter two and he was in the same clan as Elimelech and 
his name is Boaz. And Ruth, because they had a, like something of a safety net in Israel at the time, yeah. even though it was a very libertarian safety net of like, you can go and pick up food that's like left on the ground during the harvest, right? Yeah. And so that was kind of how they were going to to feed themselves. So Ruth was like, well, I'm going to go do this. So I guess, I don't know. I don't know why they call it gleaning, but that's what it's called. And so Ruth tells Naomi, I'm going to go collect barley this way, right? And it's, yeah. you know, it's very further back in the Bible, before the genocide bits, before these specific genocide bits. <laughs> yep, this is, God tells this is them. In between, it's like in between, in between the genocides. <laughs> God tells uh, the Israelites, like, hey, you have to have all these policies in place, including like returning, returning land every 49 years, I think it was, or yeah, every 50th every year. 70, yeah, or 69 years, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so they kind of like, they reset all of the boundaries and like people's debts are forgiven. Joe Biden, if you're listening. And um, so very biblical this is idea. Like, very biblical idea. <laughs> get the evangelicals on board. Yeah. So there was, there was something in place for them, like in this particular space. And this person, Boaz, who's part of her husband's family had actually had some kind of legal or moral obligation to them. He was, I think, well, later in the story, it becomes clear. He is not the first, he's not the only person. That he's not has the only person. An right. obligation to them. Or, right. or I guess you could say obligation to is the nice way to say it. You could also say rights to, Mm. as another way to say it which you mm-hmm. know, we'll get into when we get there but it's, yes i think naomi is kind of targeting boaz a little bit because it's like i know that boaz is not an asshole probably based on my knowledge of being away from here like it's not like they have the internet it's like they had like facebook like oh that boaz boy seems nice <laughs> right. but you know there were there there were lots of women mm-hmm Women talk while they work. I don't know about men, but I know women do. Yeah, so they, they would they would talk and you know the gleaning, yeah, the gleaning of the field is yeah, you know, and that's a nice thing. Like I do want to stop here and say, like, the social safety net in Israel was not necessarily designed to stop poverty or to <laughs> motivate people to stop being poor. It was <laughs> to keep people that were for poor or financially destitute from dying. And that's a good thing. I feel like the point of social safety nets in our country is like to make them so awful that they motivate you mm-hmm. giant air quotes <laughs> to be better. And that doesn't seem to be what ancient Israel went for. It's just, you know, people can't eat. So maybe they should be able to eat. So, you know, we will, you weren't allowed, basically you weren't allowed to go back over your fields. Like right. you got one you pass had, at them. Took, you took what you could get and then that was it. And you weren't allowed to, I think the corners, you weren't allowed to mm-hmm. harvest the corners, which, you know, if you want to be generous, a corner can be pretty big. So, you know, the Bible does create actually a lot or actually for the ancient Near East, a rather mm. robust social safety net, still patriarchal, still connected to the men that own land. Like I'm, I'm not trying to think we should, I don't think we should go back to it. I don't know. In America, it might be an upgrade. Uh, but <laughs> the idea yeah. is present that you everyone is taken care of even at the expense of people that are wealthy yeah yeah that's true and and what's what's interesting to me about this particular system is that it seems and Justin you can correct me if I'm wrong but like my reading of it and just like the 
whatever NIV, it very much seems like there's a greater burden on people with more wealth Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be like in this position of, of making sure that everybody else in the family is, is cared for, which would be really, that would be interesting to apply to the U S in 2022. Yeah, I, honestly, in a lot of ancient cultures, wealth was obviously it's a, it's always been a privilege, but there were also additional burdens placed on the wealthy. Like you think back to Athens, like you know they when you became a certain there was like a they had like a Fortune 500 kind of list, but when you were on the Fortune 500, you were on the hook to fund public works projects. Mm-hmm. Like that's how they got that shit paid for. So there are a lot of societies in the ancient Near East. They're like, oh, you're wealthy. Great. You get to be part of this super elite club that Where pays you pay taxes. for everyone else's stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> people wanted to be a part of it because they That's got true. the gold star. You know, I think, yes, this is my personal system. If in America, like we had no billionaires, you can't mm-hmm. be a billionaire. Like you Correct. literally can't. Like when you get a billion dollars, you get a gold star like a giant trophy that says you won capitalism. You won. Like you're a winner. Like you, this is achievement unlocked. You did every, the thing. And everything after that goes to fund public works, you know, yes. or, Correct. you know, or, you know, oh, you got a billion dollars. You must have shit on a lot of people. So uh-huh. everything, everything that. beyond this goes like, back, goes to, your back to the people, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, cause give them something you won. You won capitalism. Congrats. But you don't get to progress beyond this point in a yeah. free and fair society. Yes. I'm, anyway, I'm into this. I'm you into guys, this. You guys didn't come to hear Justin's ideas. You came to hear the ancient <laughs> Near East social safety net. So we should get back to that. But <laughs> So, yes. So Ruth decides to go out and glean barley. It's the barley harvest. And Naomi tells her very specifically, like, go to Boaz's field. Apparently, you know, apparently she found out on like the Israeli version of, 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 of Facebook that Boaz was still a good guy, you know? So Ruth does this and Boaz just so happens to come back while she's out there and he like sees her and he was, well, the NIV says that he says, who does that young woman belong to? Yeah. (laughs) Yikes. And so the person, the overseer, the person who was in charge of like the, the gleaning or, you know, the harvest process, whatever, tell, says like, she's a Moabite. She came back with Naomi and she asked to like glean, you know, so basically like coming along behind the harvesters to like pick up anything that they left. And he says like, she came into the field, she's been working really hard and, you know, she took a short rest and then she came right back out. And so then Boaz decides, well, I need to go talk to this person and I'm really creeped out because he it's like he says he says my daughter listen to me and then he tells her like don't go to any other fields I told my guys not to rape you um stay here (laughs) yeah like and that's you know most commentaries I read were was that this was you know like yes there's a social safety net great Mm -hmm. but it was kind of a dangerous job too because you know the male field workers would they would expect some form of payment in kind and so she yeah he basically is like follow my female workers i'll tell the male workers not to you know rape you to leave you alone and you'll be safe in my field 
And <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, it, and at this point, we don't know Boaz's motivation, but he knows that she's some kind of kin to him and that he obviously notices her. So he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll ensure your safety, you know, in, yeah. in this libertarian paradise that I've created. For us. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, Boaz says that, you know, essentially that he respects her for like staying with Naomi, even though she wasn't obligated to. Yeah. Right. And like, and like moving away from her, her, her family and coming to this new place that she's never been before. And so he, I guess, apparently he feels like she is, you know, good shit. So yeah. there's that. And yeah. So then he like gives her lunch, which is nice. It's very thoughtful. Dip your bread in the vinegar. <laughs> which, yeah. you know, yeah. Little, little olive oil in there. That doesn't suck. So he basically like feeds her until she's like full, full and like doesn't want to eat anymore. <laughs> yeah. And he tell and Boaz then like tells his men like you need I want you to drop shit so that she can pick it up. Yeah, like you go go you guys go ahead and just like be sloppy. Yeah, be sloppy in your work. Yeah, yeah. And then so uh, basically Ruth is out in the fields all day until evening and carries back which she collected to. Uh, Naomi slash Mara <laughs> and it says like her her mother-in-law asked her where did you glean today where did you work Bless, blessed be the man who took notice of you so so like apparently Naomi knows like from the jump that like somebody somebody like noticed Ruth and decided to look out for her based on like just how much food she had <laughs> yeah. um, and so you know Ruth is like oh it's Boaz and Naomi's like this is great he's our close relative He's one of our guardian redeemers, which is Justin. I feel like you can tell us about guardian redeemers something because yeah. it's kind of a fascinating concept. Well, yeah, the kinsman redeemer or guardian redeemer is, you know, essentially for situations just like this, when there was a, a family member in distress, there was an obligation to bring them back in the family. Usually like a like a, a, a woman whose you know husband had died. There was like an obligation then to, you know, bring them into the family, which could get you whatever land was owned by that particular man. So there was, you know, there were financial incentives as well, mm. but so there were, but so this like the way that it worked was, you know, that there were, you know, these lines of obligation. And I think it was rather complex as to who basically who got first dibs. And so that okay. that happens later in the book where they're trying to determine like, okay, there's someone else that actually has first dibs at you, Ruth. So we have to like see if they want to take you or not. So yeah, the, so, you know, basically he's one of their guardian redeemers. So, hey, it's nice that he took, you know, notice of you. I don't think it's like an obligation in the sense that they had to. See, this little note in, in the NIV says that the Hebrew word for guardian redeemer is a legal term for someone who had an obligation. Yeah. I, I, well, obligation. Yes. But I don't know. Kind of like the year of Jubilee, honestly, like it's this wonderful picture that's in the Bible, the year of Jubilee being when all debts are reset, all debts are forgiven, all land goes back. Um, and we don't necessarily have a lot of record of that actually happening. Or if there were just ways of so many ways around it, it functionally didn't happen. So like, like our tax code, kind of oh like our God. tax code. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. That I, makes sense. So, so it's like, yeah, there's an obligation, 
but there are also ways to get out of your obligations. Got it. Okay. As well. So I don't know that. I think Naomi went back because she's like, I, I know that there's more opportunity for me to not die here. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. don't know that she went back. That's like, it's guaranteed someone's going to bring me into their house because Fair. I can totally count on this guardian redeemer thing. But it was her best shot because she had no family in Moab. And mm-hmm. I'm sure Moab had other social safety nets and lines of obligation to take care of people too. We just don't know about right. them because, you know, a religion wasn't formed around mobites that we still observe today <laughs> no that's that's her cool okay yeah i'm trying to remember i was reading a really cool i'm reading a really cool book that talks about there was that mentioned kind of in passing there was another society that did that where i think it was an, an indigenous like a um, north american society but they also mm-hmm. had like every some number of years debts were forgiven and people were given their land back which is really fascinating to me yeah. that was happening like at least the idea existed like multiple places in the world simultaneously yeah. with people who did had not spoken to each other clearly it's unless you're mormon like in which case ah, uh yeah the in which case you know the jews and the indians were talking and building submarines anyway <laughs> so basically naomi gets this gets this bee in her bonnet about boaz and i i don't even know how to explain justin i don't know how to explain this i'm going to <laughs> i'm gonna need some help yeah. because it's like what what is happening right now and like i said i went and i googled stuff and mm-hmm. like everything that came back because naomi basically tell like gives gives her this whole plan to go and like wait until boaz is drunk and mm-hmm. passed out in the barn because that's where people i don't understand any of this so from what i remember from seminary and such and such is you know the threshing floor is where you know they bring all this wheat in and the threshing floor is kind of where they kind of separate the wheat from the you know the chaff or the part that's useful the part that you can eat (laughs) the part that you can eat from the part that you can't eat is what is happening there yes and you know it it makes sense then that you have a lot of storage of grain in this area and so people would keep watch at night and the threshing forward during the harvest. So that was. In, oh, so, okay. So I think it's like kind of a ceremonial position. And, you know, again, this is the time of the judges. People will kill you and steal your shit if you don't watch out. And so mm-hmm. like, and there are some commentators that say like, yeah, it was, it was, you're supposed to be watching, but it's also like people just get drunk and crazy because it's, you've been working hard all day. And others that are like, no, it was a you know, sober affair. I don't mm-hmm. think it was that. But, you know, so basically it's like, we got to hang out here and spend the night here because we've got work to do and, you know, people might steal our people stuff. people stealing our stuff. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. so he's at sense. the threshing floor and, you know, Naomi says like, you know, this is your time. You know, he's going to be like, it's almost like an assassination. Like he's going to be out <laughs> in the open, be vulnerable. <laughs> And you go and you uh, you do your thing. Oh, okay. So, so I think I, I can, I'll just read the plan, and I will yes, let people read the plan. I will let people infer what. Explain explain the plan to me. Yeah. What is so, the plan? So Naomi says, so go bathe yourself, rub some perfumed oil, and get dressed up. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know that you're there until he finishes his meal. So be secretive about it. It's very James Bondy. Let him let him get all carved up on all that grain. <laughs> a little tired, like 
Uh, and then when he gets ready to sleep, take careful notice of the place he lies down, then go uncover his legs. So which the region of the legs or the lower <laughs> body foot is another one. It's euphemistically used for genitals. I'm just going <laughs> to, this isn't part of the plan. This is me reading what the, that for it uncover his legs might mean uh, uncover his genitals anyway, and lie down beside him. Uh, he will tell you what you should do. <laughs> Ruth replied to Naomi, I will do everything you have told me to do. So, you know, definitely, you know, some sub stuff going on here between her and Naomi. So she visits Boaz and she does the thing. And uh, yeah. What do you think happened at the threshing floor, Tori, based on this information that I've given you? Well, it's okay. So then it like, so the thing is, right. It says that like Ruth, Ruth does this, right. And mm-hmm. Ivy says, Ruth approached quietly and uncovered his feet and laid out. And it yeah. says, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Exclamation yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> Not kidding. It's yeah. in the Bible. Which and he goes, euphemistically Go is lying at his dick. <laughs> like Something startled him. Yeah. Like <laughs> my dick is hanging out and there's a woman <laughs> right next to it. <laughs> so he goes, who are you? And she says, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And again, like the whole spread the corner of your garment, like there were evangelicals had some weird shit to say about that. And it was, it was, it was just, yeah, I, I was like, what, what is happening right now? You people are so weird. And like, it's a story about God's love for the church. <laughs> like it's absolutely not. No, no. <laughs> and What's really interesting, like, so there was, there was an article that I read uh, on Focus on the Family on their website about this story specifically. Uh You went went uh deep. I did. Yes. I went for the real shit. And we talked last week about purity culture and not having sex until you're married. And this article and one other article that I found kept like harping on this idea of this was like this act, whatever the heck it was, was, was proof of Ruth's like commitment, fidelity, something, something. And that was supposed, that was supposed to be the good thing was that, was that Ruth was like loyal, essentially. Almost like, I'm going to, I'm going to whip it out. I'm going to whip your dick out, but I'm not going to do anything with it. (sighs) That's how great I am. That's how loyal I am. Oh gosh. I mean, yeah, who like who even fucking knows? But I will say that white evangelicals are quite sure that there was no sex going on that night. So, yeah. or nudity for that matter. So there's that. It was yeah. just Ruth was proving her faithfulness to God by giving Boaz a blowjob. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's and I think I do think that it's it's not a slam dunk. Oh, for sure. Either way. I don't think it's for like, sure. oh, obviously they had sex or, oh, obviously they did. I think at very least, Boaz was drunk enough to think that maybe they did. So, oh like, I this is whatever the mechanics of what they did. She was told to uncover his feet, and that was not just his feet. You know, yes. euphemistically, that is a very common euphemism. It's, you know, it's his dick was out. <laughs> like... Of that, I am pretty sure. What she did with it, 
I, you know, that's up. That's between Ruth and God and Boaz. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was enough for for Boaz to be for Boaz to be like, I'm really glad you came to me and not one of the young men. Like <laughs> you flatter me, child. Like. So, I mean, she couldn't have been that young, right? She was married yeah. for 10 years. Yeah, so. she'd been married. Yeah. So even if she got married at 13, she's into she's, her 20s. She's still an adult, yeah. right? At this she's point. an adult. Yeah. This is, it's just, it's so funny because, yeah, he's, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. I'm, what? Yeah. yeah. Which what, kindness? What Boaz? kindness? Yeah. Yeah. What? It's just, yeah, the language here is like, what kindness are you talking about? Because, like, Nothing happened You've got in this version pa- of you, the Bible. You have your pants down right now, and she's all up in your business. And so this kindness is better than the other kindness. Like, huh. hmm. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Sounds like nothing happened. Except yeah. she asks her to then spend the night. Yeah. So spend the night with me. So sleep here till morning. So she slept beside him, which, you know, again, it's at his leg. Is uh Whatever. She slept at his dick side for the evening. <laughs> but then he, but then he, oh, he also tells her that she has to sneak out so no one sees her. Yeah. So, so clearly nothing happened. It yeah. was just feet. Yeah. So it's just that's a how that of, goes. Walk of shame, you know. And then, <laughs> and then, like, and then he measured out sixty pounds or sixty measures of barley, because that's not a euphemism at all, and uh, filled her up with it. Mm, okay. So. You know, barley like, has I, barley has a lot of protein. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kind of a kind of a weedy kind of yeasty flavor to it. Um, <laughs> so, all I'm saying is that, it, honestly, I think that the ancient Israelites had a good time telling this story mm, with mm-hmm. like tongue in cheek, kind of you know euphemistic metaphors Mm -hmm. i i i I do think that this is more of like a a ancient near eastern folktale love story kind of thing got it i don't think it's i don't honestly think it's meant to teach like deep theology you know god really isn't mentioned all that much you know and so it's just you know i i do think that this this is meant to be kind of fun and maybe a little dirty maybe a little naughty like i and so i'm okay with that yeah 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 so you know, if you were going to be like, no, there's no way they had sex. She just uncovered his feet, surprised him and asked him to be her redeemer. That's fine. But I mean, they still they still spent the night. Uh, yeah, and he still made her sneak away. So yeah, like so she could have snuck away anytime. But no, she true. She or he could have walked her home if he was worried about rapists. Yeah, that's but he didn't. But he didn't do that. So, so just saying. The evidence seems to suggest that they did something that evangelicals would not approve of. <laughs> so but they were married in the eyes of God, if that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, under the moonlight of the threshing floor. Oh so, no! I mean, I mean, even I mean, even that sounds kind of like romantic and like kind of a little bit, a yeah. little bit, you know? Yeah, I mean, for sure. You know, like I, I feel like that this, you know, the biblical author is he's setting a scene for us here for romance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to say this is just a foot thing, I mean, maybe, but foot things can still be sex. It's still I don't yeah. know what to tell you. What happened was sexual for sure. Yes. Quite certain of it. 
And, you know, the funny thing is, you know, in my uh, freshman or sophomore year of college, we took like a biblical exegesis 101 and the book of Ruth was the kind of standard book that we had to do our Interesting. paper on. Okay. And I don't recall anyone, literally anyone, seeing this, like, I mean, because we're reading the Hebrew, like we are... I don't, I don't, I don't know if they like scrubbed the library of any text that mention it, or we were just so blinded by purity culture, but we just kind of took it at face value that people do weird things in the Bible and she uncovered yeah. his feet. And that was just some symbol that he should redeem her. I, I, I don't know how we didn't see it. Honestly, it, especially once you kind of know a little bit more about ancient languages and the way they play on words and the fact that you know the same word for dick leg and foot was the same word oh boy so yeah. that what whatever happened happened and naomi's like how did things turn out for you my daughter and ruth told her all about the, what the man had done for her he gave me 60 pounds of barley um <laughs> Do not and said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. So there we go. There we go. But there's a problem because again, whether she stumbled upon him in a drunken moment and took advantage of his honor, that's very well, or Boaz just decided to do the quote unquote right thing. Boaz realizes that you know there is another person that has claim to Ruth and Naomi before he does. Which, if they did have sex, you know, the clock could be ticking. Uh, so, you know, Boaz goes up to, you know, the next day to the village gate where business is done. And essentially basically says like, hey, you know, I got this family member here uh, who belongs to your relative or you know, our relative Elimelech. So I'm, I'm legally informing you that you can acquire her if you want. And of course, he's like, yeah, I'll do that. But you've got to marry, it's, is it Mary Naomi or Ruth? Yeah, you'll acquire Ruth and any son that comes of that union will then basically belong to Naomi's family. So mm. essentially, wow. like, you'll get the land for now, but it's not going to be in your family. You know, it's, it's, this is not this going to be the best deal for you. This is really interesting to me though because they are taking like apparently this vow that like ruth made to naomi like they're taking that as like legally binding not like legal legal right but like yeah. as like oh that ca that counts yeah like they're they're connected so like when you acquire the field from naomi you must also acquire ruth the moabite and to preserve you know his you know this this man's family name and so you know and, and you know any descendants that come from this, you know, will, it'll belong to him, not you. And so right. he's like, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to mess with that. <laughs> yeah. He says that it's going to mess up like his own kids inheritance. Yeah. If he like accidentally has a kid with, <laughs> with somebody else and then that land belongs else. to them, you know, and then, like, yeah. and then if that kid marries into the family again, you know, that could just be, oh, this would be a whole legal fiasco. Yes. Correct. Um, yeah. So Anyway, the, the other dude tells Boaz, go buy it yourself. Yeah, basically, you're free to have it if you want it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So whatever, whatever weird people transaction that was. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's it's yeah, they're they're people talking come about, with the land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This land comes with people, and <laughs> and you can't just starve them to death. Like you actually have to take care of them. You got yeah, bit, you, you a little have bit. An obligation to take care of them, which you know, again, it's barbaric for sure because they're talking about human beings in the same type of language that they're talking about land. But at the same time, you know, Naomi and Ruth, their option was death, prostitution, or or both really yeah um, yeah at, you know at that time w- because everything derived from their connection to the males and their family so it, it's it's one of those things it's a weird thing in the bible because on the one hand you want to look at it and go oh like they created social safety nets great but those social safety nets are always connected to patriarchy mm-hmm. like they're not they're not they're not progressive in any way so it's it's kind of a eh. I, I like the idea, but if it could be a little less, you know, slavey, it might be something worth looking into further. Cool, cool. Yeah. No, I agree. I'm, I, I mean, I like that. I think that's, it's interesting at least to mm-hmm. think about. But yeah, I'm, I like, I think that the thing that was weird to me, because again, I can't, I cannot for the life of me figure out why the fuck they were teaching us this, except that it was like, it was, a, it's a story of like God mm-hmm. redeeming the church. I, I, okay. I think it's I think it's in the Bible and the Israelites told the story because she is the grand Ruth is the grandmother, I think. Of King David. Of King David. Yes. So the great great grandmother. Great great yeah, great grandmother of Yeah, of King David. So I mean, so that I think that's the, the why they told it, because it was, you know, a folk story, love story about where their, you know, first good king. It's <laughs> real king. King Saul's fake news. Yeah, he's he's the he's okay. He's the Articles of Confederation to our Constitution. Oh boy! All right. So yeah, so he's like we don't really talk about him, but you know, <laughs> he was fine. David. He's fine. Yeah, he's he's the one. And and oh, his grandma was a Moabite. Crazy. So I mean, I think that's that's why they told the story. Why Christians feel the need to make it about Christ and the Church? I I don't fucking know. Well, they had to, I mean, I think that they feel like they have to do that with, with the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's not like any Christians that are around now were like around when they were deciding which books to keep and which books to like shelve, right? So it's like, well, it's in here. So it's gotta, it's gotta be for a reason because God picked it. I don't know. I assume that's, I assume that's what it is. But yeah, I, I think that the fact that like Ruth being considered part of Naomi's family, even though there was no, like, there was no more man connecting them mm-hmm. is pretty that's pretty wild to me and like a cool in a really cool way honestly yeah. but it's still just like what what is happening but and and so then then Naomi actually gets a grandchild which like is it's I mean it's just it's all very interesting to me right because like she is not related to Ruth <laughs> like yeah. everybody that connected them is dead but this is still Naomi's grandchild I don't know that part I like that part I think that part's kind of cool yeah it's kind of it's kind of a cool like little like found family thing yeah yeah chosen family they get to they get to be family together and it's legally recognized and I think that's cool yeah so and you know Ruth really isn't mentioned again in the in the bible at least about in the new testament I mean Hmm. she gets she's one of five women mentioned in the genealogy of G of Jesus, which right, is right, I remember that, which is interesting, kind of generally, 
but you know mm-hmm. this book doesn't get a lot of play in the new testament paul's not talking about it oh but paul has paul has no need for romance yeah no honest. need for romance or ancient jewish I don't, have, I don't have time for that shit yeah i don't have time for that you know i guess i guess wives... busy failing to cast out demons yeah over here yeah <laughs> so i guess husbands love your wives i guess um, you must if you must <laughs> If you have to get married, you should probably at least love your wife, and you know, or, obey or whatever. You. So yeah, so that and that's why it's. It, I think it's that's why it is so awkward. That and like Esther too. Never, I don't think Esther's mentioned at all in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. But like even just it doesn't pretty, really, it doesn't really apply. Like no, it's, it doesn't. That story is not ours at yeah. all. I no, mean, ours like Christians. Yeah, and I, I think Ruth is the same way. It's like I. You know, I think that this, it, it does have a lot. Um, I think it's read every year. Uh, I forget what the Jewish holiday is. I know Esther is, like P- Purim. Yeah, and then there's another one of the, the, for Ruth. Okay. It's, you know, it's like a, it's a harvest okay. story. It's like, it's, oh, you know, because it's like harvest time. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. around the harvest time, we tell this story and it's, you know, this is where King David came from. And, you know, and, and there are things to learn about it. You know, I think there are, you know, the obligation of the rich to take care of the poor, the the ways to use the law to bring about justice. You know, I think, you know, ways to subvert cultural expectations to get what you want. You know, Naomi's kind of a boss. And, you know, again, whether they had sex or whether, you know, Ruth made him think they had sex, you know, like, I could see where he was like, I'm drunk and my my dick is out and there's a woman next to me. Uh, uh, I can't be seen in this light. You know, like <laughs> like like if you want to imagine Boaz is like this like super squeaky clean guy that would never actually do it, but they kind of framed him. <laughs> like, oh, God. Not, like, oh, no. Oh, no. Like, it's oh, every no. it's every megachurch pastor's nightmare. <laughs> like I didn't follow the Billy Graham rule one time. And now okay. I'm paying for it. That one time. So, but I do, I do th- either way, like the the law is being kind of subverted and tweaked a little bit in order to benefit the most vulnerable, and and I'm all about mm-hmm. that. So, mm-hmm. so I think there are a lot of I think it again it's it's not our story, but I do think for those whose story it is, I think it it still gets a lot of play and a lot of it. There's a lot of interesting places you can go with it. But when you try to like glom Jesus on top of it, it it does like, it just gets weird. It just gets weird because Jesus isn't in this story and that's fine. He doesn't have to be everywhere in the old Testament. No, he is. You don't understand all of the old Testament is just pointing to Jesus. It has no actual meaning on its own. Okay, So Ruth's only purpose is as a vessel to bring about David who's yes. only purpose yes. is a vessel to bring about Jesus. So That's it. How'd you know? Yeah. That's the one. Which is kind of close to anti-Semitism. It gets you oh, no, I think in it is. the anti-Semitism range of being like you're, the you're Jewish within... people's only purpose is a vessel to bring about Jesus and now we're done. Like, but you're not very far from there when you, when you do that. And which is mm-hmm. why Christianity for the most part is a religion rooted in anti-Semitism. I'm just gonna say it. Yeah, it is. It's like the long, the the more the more I learn about this, like the more I'm just like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And and they get a passport though, because they're also a religion, and they're and they're Zionists. So can't be anti-Semitic if you're a Zionist. Apparently, those yeah. are the rules. I did not make them up. 
Is how yeah. many else did? And actually, not being a Zionist is anti Semitic. Is right. Yes. You were morally required to be yeah. a Zionist. Or it feels like both of us have been on the receiving end of that. Before. Oh, yeah. The like, not the like, the like, the like Israel fetishism, anti Semitism thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we were we were we were all about that shit, man. Yeah, well, I've been being told not by a professor in college, but by fellow students in college that like mm-hmm. God will withdraw his hand of blessing on America if we cease to support Israel. And this was amongst people that were able to vote. Yeah. Oof. Oh, boy. Uh, okay. Yeah. So but but at the end, it's still like this. I mean, it's the same. It's a lot of the same relationships that, you know, white evangelicals have with anyone that's not a white evangelical. We're mm-hmm, with you true. and we support you as long as you support. You're going to die and go to hell. Support. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're just, well, no, I mean, that, that, that's really like, that's really like the extent of Jewish usefulness to white evangelicals, mm-hmm. right? Is bringing about the rapture. You're all going to go to hell except for like, you know, 144,000 or whoever. Sorry. We still got to wrap this shit up. Yeah. Only 144,000 of you are going to live. So, and again, like trying to glom Jesus on all of it, it really sets up anti-Semitism very quickly. So I think that's why I kind of, like, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm down with the book of Ruth because it really resists that cleanly. Like it, and it, it does kind of pretty openly say that, like, hey, Christians, this book is not actually yours. You, you don't know what this story is. Um, and, and I'll even admit too, like, I, you know, you and I share our commentary we kind of joke about it from the perspective of what we were taught as evangelicals it's not to make fun of you know because we're not jewish it's not right. to really make those critiques you know if the hebrew that i know is the hebrew i was taught by evangelicals oh boy so oh like boy. I, okay. I i imagine that someone who's a someone who's much more well-versed in it is probably going to be like that's not what that actually means like well yeah but my christian professor told me that's what it means so and and oh my, my Christian God. professor didn't tell me that foot equal dick. I had to look that up on my own. You had to figure that one out on your own? Okay. They wouldn't share that. So yeah, I, I freely admit that we are making fun of the fact that we were not given a full deck of cards when it comes to the Bible. <laughs> and yeah. we were told that it made perfect sense and it doesn't. So yeah, um... this, this story resists that narrative and I like I like it for that. I do. Mm-hmm. And yes. as a, as like kind of a fun ancient Near Eastern love story, not that we have that, not that I've read that many of them. This, was <laughs> not, this one's not terrible. There's problematic bits for sure, but they mm-hmm. tend to get subverted by the weakest characters in the story. Or they use that system for that's their benefit. Good, that's a good point. That is a very good point. I like that. Who are, who are we going to cast in this story as uh, Naomi and Ruth? Well, so I know for Ruth, like Tessa Thompson... I, I feel like every hot ahead. person in the Bible, you cast Tessa Thompson. I do, because I have a crush on her. I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not going to critique. I'm just pointing out. No, it's Tessa true. Thompson like, is... she's the first person that comes to mind. But yeah. she's also very talented. So, you know, she whatever. Is. I mean, you pointing out that, like, Boaz might have been a little bit, like, oh, I'm the good guy and kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that energy made me, for some reason, it made me think of Keanu Reeves. <laughs> 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 and that would work too because i think there's probably like an age difference there too right gonna, right yeah. right exactly 
Yeah, I could see. Yeah, Keanu Reeves. I think that actually, you know, now now that you're mentioning it, I think yeah, I think that Tessa Thompson's too old to be. Yeah, you <laughs> has to be like one of Selena Gomez's peers, like one of them. I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, she might be. She might be too old. Most biblical characters, you need to age up just a little bit to like make it legal. <laughs> yeah, to make it not real weird. Oh no! I mean, if you when you only lived until you're thirty, well, okay, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any? Do you any anybody in mind? For- um. Well, I'm actually thinking of for Naomi. I'm actually thinking about like Helen Mirren. I'm thinking. Oh, as, okay. Yeah. I think because like she, I imagine Naomi was a very attractive woman, but she's yes. older now. And Agreed. Helen Mirren was. I don't know if you've seen pictures of young Helen Mirren, but she was a gorgeous woman, and she still is. Helen Mirren is still gorgeous. Yes. Yeah. Oh God. But, yeah. Absolutely. So like, yeah, someone that's like, you're totally gorgeous, but you're old now. And so like kind of an old person that's, you know, gorgeous. So if we're aging up, I suppose Tessa Thompson would be fine. I do like the idea of definitely like, well, I like the idea of people of color being biblical characters generally. But if we're casting an American version, they're probably going to make all the Israelites white. Oh, no. <laughs> so let's so let's make, you know, the, the Moabite folk people of color the heroines of the story so yeah so helen mirren is naomi keanu reeves is Boaz. <laughs> but, i don't know i just see, i can just i see it for some reason yeah well it is funny you always go to tessa thompson i actually tend to go to oscar isaac when i'm casting mm. biblical people I, mm-hmm. I think it's because that beard he had in dune just like you look like a persian king i feel like <laughs> i feel like you just be a good boaz that I don't, you know, honestly, for Ruth, you know, I do have trouble, like, yeah, casting. I'm trying to think. There was a show, uh, Tiffany Boone from, she was in Hunters on Netflix. I don't know she's what a, that is. She's in a couple other things as well. I feel like she would probably be pretty good. She's in Little Fires Everywhere and a couple other things too. But I feel like she could be good. And she's, I think she's, seems, she looks young enough to be I Ruth think that's age. also part of my problem is I don't actually know that many, I don't know of that many, like, young actors, actresses, etc. I think Zazie Beetz, kind of same vein as, as Tessa Thompson, as Ruth. Well, if you weren't going to cast Keanu Reeves as Boaz, who would you cast? I don't know. I mean, I would just, I'd just go for, like, whoever was hottest. Idris Elba. I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, I mean, are we trying to make him hot or are we trying to make him like kind of goody two shoes, awkward-ish on just a tiny bit awkward? I think like, a tiny bit awkward. That's how I, that's how really? I feel. I feel this character yeah. is, tiny, is a tiny bit awkward. Mm. Well, he's an older-ish man. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, older-ish probably meaning he's still like 28, but, but he's not married. <laughs> But he's not married now, so right for like, whatever reason. For whatever reason, you know, Man, and then, you know. I imagine single. maybe he's just a little awkward. Okay, okay. Who's 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 older but a little awkward? I don't know. Do you have someone in mind? <laughs> I just said like like John C. Riley or something, but that would be. Oh God, no! I was thinking more. <laughs> I was thinking more like like brooding and awkward. I was thinking like like Michael C. Hall, Dexter. Okay, I could see this. It's a, it, like it's a different character altogether. However, yeah. but I like definitely it. like the, the the there's a little bit of the awkward going on, but like protective in like a weird way, right? Yeah, like like 
like protective like i told my men not to rape you and she's like hey well like well that that's a compliment i'm i'm being kind to you this is awkward now like this yeah. is like oh go ahead those moments over and over and over again you know you know what i'm really sad about is that i um there are no angels to cast in this particular story it's one of the I'm first so sorry. frankly I really didn't not. realize there were so many angels in the bible and yeah none, none in this one none so. in this one though so there there they is they were busy yeah they were busy blowing shit up other places and you know they were busy with whatever nonsense samson was up to during this time because oh, this takes no. place during that time so it does you've got does. hot boy oh. samson running around and whatever the fuck gideon was doing like there was angels in gideon right they were oh, just boy. they were used up they were all used up somewhere else they were busy okay that makes sense You've only really, at the end of the day, you still only have so many employees, even if you're God. Yeah. All right. Well, we covered it, I think. We did. We did. We're, uh, what would, anything you'd like to plug? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Are we plugging things right now? Um, can, I'm, plug, plug I'm plugging, I'm plugging Black History Month. That's, that's what I am plugging. Also, I have a GoFundMe app for my cousin on Twitter. If anybody wants to go and check that out. That's very important to me right now. That, yeah. That's, Otherwise, that's I'm shared at... on the Go Home Bible Twitter feed. Yes. Otherwise, I'm at Tori Glass on Twitter and Instagram. I actually posted something on Instagram this week. I was very proud of myself. <laughs> we emerged uh, back from. I emerged from not having cell phone service, which is my favorite place to be on this earth. It, it actually is quite nice. It's wonderful what about you you have shit to plug you got a new I, show i do, I, do. I, have, I have a new i have a new show with uh, the reverend sarah heath we it's called rev recovery where we talk about recovering from ministry and learning how to be in the real world when you were only good at church so if you're interested in that if that seems to be your jam we'd love to have you check that show out if you just want to listen to the things that i tweet i'm at justin d gentry i'm also on instagram justin.gentry so if there's a it's a D or a dot in there somewhere. You'll you'll find. You'll find. <laughs> you know, Instagram is mostly just pictures of my kids and me working out. So if that's your jam, if that's your jam, my Instagram is for you. If just, you know, <laughs> yeah, mine is just hiking pics. Yeah, like yeah. If I had good place during the summer, it's you know pictures of hiking and whatnot. So yes, yes, we have we have very active instagrams mm -hmm. we are very active on twitter and so we'd love uh follow and you know comment and whatnot if you are able to support the show monetarily uh patreon.com slash go home bible if you aren't able to do that a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts i am actively trying to get our podcast on multiple different feeds we're just on apple and spotify and you know with oh, spotify okay. nonsense i'm just trying to diversify where you can get our podcast so if there's a place that you're like hey I can't get your podcast on XYZ platform, whatever it is. Let us let me, know. Let us know and give us a five-star review on that platform because that'll increase the visibility of the show. And also, you know, we want to make sure we're not limited to one platform and one place to get our stuff uh, or yeah. even two. So uh, thanks for your listening and for your support and your feedback and your five-star reviews. Have a great week. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.
1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.